0: Well, this is a big deal. We're at the end of Philippians. We've gone through the book of Philippians, and we're going to be right at the end of the book by the end of the morning. Philippians chapter 4. This is the letter that we've been studying, Paul's letter to the Philippians, through the last number of weeks. And uh, we come to this last section where Paul wraps it all up. He, he brings in all of the themes that we've been looking at throughout the book, And he reminds the Philippians of the most important things that they need to know in these parting words that he has for them. Now, we remember that Paul's life words that he lives by, we found right at the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, we find for Paul, he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For him to live is to be with Christ, to be empowered by Christ, to be strengthened by Christ, and for him to die is to see Christ face-to-face in a moment. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He can face all things. And this is, this is the power, this is the strength that he lives by. And in this closing section, we find Paul's final expression of this reality. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What does it look like to live this way? That's what Paul unpacks even more this morning. Now for Paul, to get us thinking this way... Life literally is finding its source, finding its strength, finding the start of life in all of who Christ is. Everything is in the Lord, in Christ, in Jesus. And I'm going to run through a number of passages really quickly to just show us how the reality that Christ and Paul's union with Christ and the Philippians' union with Christ is running all through this letter. So verses... Uh, verse one one Paul timothy we 're servants of Christ Jesus. We write to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi one thirteen it 's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. one fourteen and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. one twenty six that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Two, one. there is encouragement in Christ. 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, selfless love, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy. 2.24, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 2.29, receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord. 3.1, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. 3.3, three, boast in the Lord. 3.9. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of your own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. 3.14. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Four, one, Therefore, my brothers, whom I long for and love, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. 4.2. I entreat Euodia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. 4.4, four, rejoice in the Lord. 4.7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord. 4.19, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And 4.21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul's thinking, Paul's entire writing, his way of life is in Christ, flowing out of Christ and through Christ. And I think this is the most amazing one. It's right in the middle of all of it. We covered it a number of weeks ago in chapter three. This is what it looks like to be in Christ. He says, This is what a Christian is. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And he goes on to say this is going to look like suffering like him. It's going to look like becoming like him in his death. Dying like him. So that he will be resurrected like him. Union with Christ is Paul's way of thinking. Now, our passage is found in chapter 4, verses 10, down to the end. And let's read it now. Um, If you're there and open your Bibles, you can please stand. We'll start with chapter 4, verse 10, and we'll read through to the end. Let's stand together. This is the word of the Lord. This is Paul's words to the Philippians. This is the Lord's word to us. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. O Father, we ask that you would open up your word for us. Empower us by your spirit now. To understand these things to understand your mind we pray that we would know christ that we would not only be found in him but that we would be found in him experientially moment by moment even in this moment right now that we would know christ that we would find the pleasure of christ that we would find the all-surpassing worth of christ and christ alone and that in light of Christ, everything else would be lost. We pray that you would enable us by this teaching to be able to endure all things now on through the next days, even to death if you ask that of us, knowing that you will sustain us through all of it, and you'll sustain us into eternity. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with us and that you'd minister to us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Please take a seat. So starting there, that Paul's aim in life is to glorify Christ, to be in Christ, for him to live as Christ, to die is gain. We find in here, we're going to look at nine principles that we're going to move through fairly quickly that are all about the sufficiency of Christ in all things. So Christ is enough is going to be our motto this morning. Christ is enough. And the first thing we find is that Christ is enough for rejoicing. This is what Paul exhorts the Philippians to do. He says back in 3 1, rejoice in the Lord. And last week we found in verse 4 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is what Paul was living for. He was living for the joy of the Philippians. If you remember back in chapter 1, 23 through 26, he says, I don't know whether to die or to remain though it wasn't his call but he says I'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that's far better but I but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account convinced in this I know that I will remain and continue with you all and this is why for your progress and your joy in the faith his remaining now by the will of Christ, was for the joy of the Philippians. That's what he wanted to carry out. He wanted to see their joy. And Paul puts himself forward in his example right now in 4 verse 10 of what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord. He's asking the Philippians to rejoice. He's saying, here's what it looks like to rejoice. I rejoiced, verse 10, in the Lord greatly, that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity What's he talking about? What's the concern that they had? It was concern for his material needs, his, his well-being there in prison, probably in Rome. He needed supply, and he said, I, I'm glad, and I rejoiced. I actually, I was bursting with joy when Epaphroditus came to Rome, presumably, to deliver the gift that you had. And that's what we find later in this passage. But he's saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, not because I received money from you, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because it reminded me of your concern for me. Meaning, it reminded me of our friendship in the gospel. It reminded me that we're united in Christ for a common cause and in a common Savior and Lord. Now, it's, it's not that they just shared a, a common message. It didn't. It's not that they just shared uh, common interests. Though all those things might be true, they shared a common Lord. They shared a common Christ. Christ was their bond. So here's why he says he rejoices in Christ. The words of Galatians 2.20, listen to this. This is Paul's experience. I've been crucified with Christ, so the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. It was Christ himself who did the work so that he would be united with Christ. It was Christ himself who did the work so that the Philippians could be united with Christ. And because of the work that Christ did, Paul can rejoice in Christ because he's united with them. So he says, I rejoiced, and this is what it looked like, I rejoiced in the Lord because I was reminded of our friendship that we share in Christ. That's verse 10. That's our first principle. Christ is enough for rejoicing. Now Paul goes on to say in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, because he wants to tell them, my joy wasn't in the money. Actually, my joy was in the friendship that we share. My joy was in our union shared in Christ. I don't want you to think this is about the money, so I'm not speaking of being in need. And this brings us to our second principle. Christ is enough for facing abundance and need. That's verses 11 through 13. He says, "I don't really have a need, but Paul, you're in prison. You have a need. How's it that he has no need? He says, "Because I've learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content." Now we have to understand, what does he mean by content? This is one Greek word that's worth unpacking. He's saying, it's self-sufficiency. I've experienced self-sufficiency. I'm self-sufficient. I have self-rule, it means more literally. And for the Philippians, this is surely bringing to mind the thought of Stoicism. That was very popular a uh, way of thinking in, in their time. And actually became so common that it, it wasn't even a movement anymore. It was just part of their society. This is the thinking that says... It doesn't matter what happens around me in all of my circumstances. It doesn't matter whether my friend dies. It doesn't matter whether I come along a great inheritance. None of these things are going to bring me down or bring me up because I find all of my serenity, all of my peace inwardly. It's in me. But now we're going, well, and this is what the Philippians are thinking, that doesn't sound very Christian, does it, Paul? It doesn't sound very Christian to say, well, here's the secret. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be self-sufficient. I rule my own inner peace. Now, how is that? Well, the point is that he wants us to get thinking that way. But let's follow along with his argument. Verse 12, he continues, I know... How to be brought low, and I know how to abound. This is what this self-sufficiency looks like. I can do both of those things. I can be brought low, meaning just like when it says that Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, he was brought low. Same words. Also, he's learned how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of this self-sufficiency. What's the secret? Well, whether facing plenty or hunger abundance or need the point is he's saying these are the two extremes whether it's on this extreme the worst of the worst or this extreme the best of the best meaning everything in between in these things i can be self-sufficient how is it that he can be self-sufficient it says i've learned the secret of doing these things verse 13 look at verse 13 what's the secret i can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is where we can go completely wrong, and we can say that we can do anything that we put our minds to because Christ, who is with us, will give us the strength to accomplish it. But that's not at all what Paul's saying. He's not saying that you find the sufficiency in yourself to just do what you want, and Christ will supply all the need. He's saying, No, I can do all things, and this corresponds to in any every circumstance i can endure i can face any and every circumstance i can be self-sufficient in these things how because i am in christ it says through christ it means just as well in christ in him who strengthens me Galatians 2.20 that we looked at. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this is what Paul is saying. I am self-sufficient because myself has been put in Christ. I can rule myself because it's not me who rules my life, but Christ who rules me. In any and every situation that you find yourself, if you are in Christ, you are sufficient for all of the strength that's required to face the situation, because it's not you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you by his spirit. And it's you who live in Christ, and you carry out his work doing his good pleasure. Notice he doesn't say only that I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. But he says both of those things. Now, let's just look at these two things individually. And this is the longest principle that we're looking at. But I think it's, it's really important, especially the abundance part for us in the Western world. How do we face abundance today? How do we face plenty? That's what Paul has to say. Now, first, let's look at what does, uh, what does Paul have to say about the secret of facing need and suffering. You remember his words back in, in chapter 2? He says this to the Philippians, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering... Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Meaning, even if I die, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. How's this? Because for Paul, remember, to live is Christ and to die is to be with Christ. And to gain Christ forever in all fullness. So that's how Paul has learned to endure need. Now how has Paul learned to endure abundance? And I think this is what's even more applicable for us. He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. I've learned the secret of facing abundance. If we, if we came across a bunch of money from a family member that passed away, would we think, oh my, how am I going to face this abundance? How am I going to face all of this money and come out on the other side healthy and alive? Well, Paul has something to say here. Here's how you endure abundance, which is something we probably don't think about a lot. He listen to Paul's words. This, this is how important this is. He says this in First Timothy. We remember back when we studied First Timothy. He says this for the love of money, First Timothy six, ten, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. If you love the world and the things in this world, the love of the Father is not in you. If we love the world, ultimately, it will end up in our eternal destruction. We can't love the things of the world and love God. These are competing priorities. These are things given by God. This is how serious it is. This loving money will end up in our eternal destruction and that's what Jesus has to say remember the rich young ruler in Luke 18 the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says how do I have eternal life and Jesus said something that just pierced right to his heart he says sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven you you will have treasure you're not giving it all away you'll have treasure and come and follow me but when the man heard these things He became very sad. Why? Because he was extremely rich. He loved the things of this world. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Learning how to abound is an excellent and rare virtue and is much greater than the endurance of poverty. That was John Calvin. And what he said was right on the mark with what Jesus said. This is a caution that we all have to hear. It's something that's much harder for us. It's a much more difficult thing to endure riches and abundance. Now here's how Paul learned the secret of facing abundance. The rich young ruler faced abundance and he lost because money had a literal death grip on him. But this is what happened to Paul. Paul said, everything that once was considered gain, everything that I loved in this world, and I counted as giving credit for me before God. He says in chapter 3, verse 8, For his sake, for Christ's sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Not my being a Jew, not my being a Pharisee, not anything in this world. Everything that I once thought to be gain, now I count as loss. Why? Because he found Jesus Christ to be all surpassing all of those things in his glory, in his worth. That's how Paul learned it. It was a process. And he learned the secret of facing abundance. If you learn that Christ surpasses everything in this world, even if it means that you face suffering to the point of death, Christ is stronger than your suffering if you're in him. And if you face abundance, Christ is more attractive because you know him to be more satisfying. So Christ is more than enough for facing abundance and need. Now remember how Paul started our text by saying, I was so happy when I got your gift. I was happy to receive it, but it wasn't because of the the money that I got. It was because of the reminder of the fellowship that we share in Jesus Christ. But now he needs to tell them that he doesn't mean that he didn't appreciate their gift at all. So he continues on. And this brings us to our third principle. Christ is enough For generous giving. This is verses 14 through 16. Christ is enough for generous giving. That's what it looked like on the part of the Philippians. He says, you did well to partner with me in my imprisonment. That's what he says in verse 14. It was kind of you to share my trouble. You did well. You didn't do anything wrong. This was a good thing that you did. Verse 15. And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... Philippi in Macedonia. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Only the Philippians were sending money to Paul to supply for his needs in prison. Well, at this point he wasn't in prison, but for, to supply for his needs on his gospel journeys. And they didn't do it just once, but they did it once and again. They did it multiple times for him. They made the trek even to Thessalonica, it says in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, if the Philippians are the only church that was sending Paul supply for his needs, what is it about the Philippians that enabled them, that motivated them to have this sort of generosity? We get a, a glimpse of this in 2 Corinthians. If, uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5, through 5, and he says this. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's the Philippian believers. And this is how, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Their joy and their extreme poverty overflowed for them to Paul in a wealth of generosity. For they gave not ac- they gave according to their means, as I can uh, testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, and here's the secret of their generosity, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. The Philippian believers were first captivated by the Lord, and first gave themselves to the Lord. They so loved the Lord Jesus and had such an abundance of joy in him that their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Their empty bank accounts overflowed with joy that they just couldn't contain and they couldn't keep themselves from sending it to Paul to minister for his needs for the sake of the Lord that they're united with and who they serve. That's what is what it looks like to not love the things of the world and to love Jesus Christ as all surpassing in worth. So Christ is enough for generous giving. He was enough for the Philippians and he's enough for us if we catch the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Now if that's what it looks like when the worth of Christ encounters extreme poverty but joy, What does it look like for the worth of Christ to encounter the temptation for greed? And that brings us to our next principle, number four. Christ is enough for killing greed. Look at the beginning of verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift. Now why is he saying this? Because right at the beginning he said, well, I rejoiced when I received the gift, but it wasn't really the gift. It was actually my reminder of my union with you uh, because I'm not really in need. But then later he says, but it was kind of you to share my trouble. And now he makes really clear, but I'm not actually looking for the gift. I'm not actually looking for the money. And this is exactly in line with what Paul's cautions are, we looked at one in First in Timothy: the harms, the dangers of loving money. And Paul's seen that, and he said that to to everyone that he's come across. First Timothy six nine says, "But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. This is what Paul is avoiding: into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction." 1 Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If you read one of our summer reads, Living Life Backward, you would have seen this sort of thinking running through it. This is what uh, the, the, the author says in the book, Living Life Backward. Instead of using these gifts, pleasures, sense, money, all enjoyments in this world, instead of using these gifts as means to a greater end of securing ultimate gain in the world, we take the time to live inside the gifts themselves. And what do we do? We see the hand of God in them. Or in other words, we don't set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but we set our hopes on God who richly supplies them all for our enjoyment. Or in Paul's thinking, right here, in light of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, I don't seek financial gain from you, Philippians. But, although I appreciate it, I seek. Uh, but, but he says he's saying my love for Christ keeps me from any love of money. My love of Christ is so great that by comparison, the love of money pales. Christ is better, and we get that back in verse 13 that we already looked at. Christ is better for Paul. He can do all things. He can endure abundance. He can find the power for killing the temptation for greed in Christ. So what does it look like for Paul to put something in place of this seeking his own gain? He says, well, I do seek something. I don't seek gift gift, verse 17, following along. But I do seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I seek something. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This brings us to our fifth principle. Christ is enough for finding eternal gain. And we'll expand on this. Not only eternal gain, but present gain. Present reward. Reward of all kinds. Verse 125, we remember that... Paul is working for fruit to be found in the Philippians. He says, I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. But what's this progress? What's the fruit that he's looking for? And it's right back in, verse, in chapter one, verse nine. This is Paul's prayer. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more With all knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be found pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. If you're in Christ, If you've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Romans 6 also has all kinds of say about this. If we're in Christ, we've been united with him in his death, united with him in his burial, united with him in his resurrection. So that the life you now live, you live in the flesh, but by faith in the Son of God. So going back to our passage... Verse 17, what's, how do we connect all this? What is this all saying? How is he saying, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit? He's saying, the fruit of a life that's united with Christ overflows in righteous living. And that righteous living is to your credit. So he says, when you are giving to me this money... I'm not actually looking for the dollars, but I'm looking for it because it's in a, it's evidence of the righteousness that you have by faith in Christ. It's righteous living. It's evidence that what I'm seeking to do for you, Philippians, is actually working out for the, your progress in the faith. And he says, this isn't just for my credit, and it's not just for the sake of the Lord, but it's also for your credit. Luke 6, 35, be familiar with these words. Love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return. And why? Your reward will be great in heaven. To do good is to secure for yourself eternal reward. And these two things aren't at odds and even in the present time right now there's actually reward not only in the age to come but there's reward now in living righteously in living from our new natures i'll give you 3 examples quickly these are these are just examples that paul gives in his letter to the philippians this is the credit that works to your account by living righteously paul says here's the first one righteous fruit works sanctification That's chapter 1, verse 10. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness because it results in being pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. That is, God will use this fruit, a growing righteousness in life, to continue transforming your life until you're finally glorified and made pure, pure and blameless in Christ's coming. A second thing righteous fruit provides assurance of salvation. Chapter one, verse twenty-seven to through twenty-eight. Not only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's a sign of your salvation. A third thing: righteous fruit is answered with the peace of God. We saw last week. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What you've learned and received and seen in me, practice these things. And what's the result? The God of peace will be with you. If you seek to please God, God's peace will be with you right now. And you will receive reward now, and you will receive reward in the age to come. Now, if you can seek to please God, that does infer something. That brings us to our sixth principle. Christ is enough For pleasing God. That's verse 18. Paul says this, what then? No, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, what's the problem with this idea that we can be pleasing to God in our conduct? Romans 8.8 says this, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are in the flesh, you can't please God. God isn't pleased with how you live. But he says next, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we're actually alive, living, and because it's Christ who lives in us, we can please God. And this is how Paul can say in Romans 12, in light of everything that I've just told you, to the Romans, in light of everything that I've just told you, in light of the mercies of God, Do this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's the same word, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Offer yourselves to God, because in offering yourself to God, you're offering to God the life of Christ that lives in you, and in that God is pleased. So if Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit, who takes up residence, he empowers you to live pleasing to him. In Christ, your entire life can rise up as spiritual service, a, a pleasing aroma, a sweet fragrance to God. And he looks on your, on your conduct and he smiles because he sees only rightness. He sees only what pleases him because he sees himself in us. So not only are our material needs met in Christ, as we saw in a a previous principle, not only can we please God by knowing Christ, but here we have an amazing promise. This brings us to our seventh thing. Christ is enough for supplying every need. Every need. Verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. Paul says. You Philippians. As you supplied. My material needs. Out of your extreme poverty. God will supply. All of your needs. But not out of his extreme poverty. He'll supply all of your needs. Out of the riches of his glory. In Christ Jesus. The riches are The fact that God owns everything. Nothing is outside of his domain. Everything that he wants to give to us, everything that he's pleased to give to us, he will give to us because he can. It it, it pleases him to do so. And he does this from the riches of his glory. God's not rich in just money. He can provide financially, but he's not so limited to provide materially. God can supply every need of yours. Now, our minds, when thinking of every need, I think immediately or most easily go to material need. And Paul's not excluding that, he's including that. He's saying, God supplied my needs by you Philippians materially and he'll supply every need of yours. But he says, every need of yours. He'll do everything that is right for you. And I think looking at Romans 8 is really important here. That we don't just limit his supplying our needs to material needs. Romans 8 says this. You'll be familiar with these thoughts in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why does the Spirit need to help us in our weakness? Because we do not know what to pray for, but uh, we do not know what we fully need, basically. We don't know what we need to ask God. So what does Christ do he intercedes by his spirit on our behalf asking for what we truly need and here's what happens in reply to Christ's prayer Romans eight twenty eight. we know that for those who love God all things work together for good Christ desires our good at all times in all circumstances we're his friends we're the ones he loves we're in him he desires our good so he prays for our good he prays for our needs and his prayers answered all things will work together for good what does this look like well it doesn't just look like material abundance Romans 8:31 who shall separate us from the love of Christ the answer is no one nothing but then he says these are things that you will encounter how for your good Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, that's hunger, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. But he says, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But God says, if you love me, I will work these things, even these things, even being killed, I will work for your good because this is what's most needed for you to know me, for you to experience me, for you to be made like me day by day all the way into eternity. And this is what is your need. In the words of Philippians 4, you will be brought low, you might hunger, you might be in want, you might be in tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, you might be killed, slaughtered like a sheep. But this is what's needed for you because Christ has your greatest good in mind at all times. And what does Paul end up saying to all these sorts of things in Romans 11? Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord in these things? Or who's been his counselor? Or who's given a gift back to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And this is what Paul says in verse 20 to all these things. Philippians 4.20, back to our passage. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a beautiful truth. This is a beautiful promise. That Christ will supply every need of ours according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Glory and praise to God forever and ever for this. This brings us to our final two principles that we'll look at very quickly and the final greetings paul isn't done with this idea of being in christ and finding everything for life and death and everything in between in christ verse 21 he parts with the philippians with these words greet every saint in christ jesus the brothers who are with me greet you all the saints greet you especially those in caesar's household who are the saints they're those who've been made holy Those are made holy by union with Jesus Christ. When you greet a saint, though, you're not just greeting someone who's holy in their behavior, but you're greeting someone who knows the same Lord. Jesus says this in Matthew 25 40. These are the words of him, the king, in his picture. To those who have endeavored, to share the fellowship like Paul has with the Philippians. He says this, Truly I say to you, as you've done it to one of the least of these my brothers, you've done it to me. If we greet the saints, and as Paul greets the saints who are in Philippi, we greet, he greets Christ himself, because Christ is in them and they are in Christ. This is a wonderful truth. This brings us to our final In closing principle, not only is Christ enough for our fellowship right now with other believers, Christ is enough as we go for walking in grace. Christ is enough for walking in grace. This is our last verse, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Even in this last phrase, Paul ends as he ends all of his 13 letters in the New Testament and in a very similar way as to how he starts it saying something about the grace of Jesus Christ. This is how we'd be commissioned here at the end of the letter of Philippians. It's been a joy for me, and I hope it's been a joy for you to go through the book of Philippians, to experience the grace that is here for us in Jesus Christ, to know him, to walk in his grace. And now Paul commissions the Philippians and he commissions us. These are the words of Christ, really, to us as we leave the book of Philippians, Paul prays that Christ's grace, that same grace that makes us rejoice, the same grace that strengthens us to face abundance and face need, the same grace that compels us to give generously and willingly, the same grace that kills any greed in us, the same grace that brings eternal gain the same grace that empowers us to please God, the same grace that supplies every one of our needs, the same grace that joins us into fellowship with all the saints, the same grace that saved us and keeps us now, the same grace that will empower us for service in the days ahead, the same grace that will sustain us through all of eternity. Be with your spirit as Christ has graciously given us of himself as we've studied this letter and we've truly experienced something of Christ in it. Now our Lord and our Master, our dearest friend, our companion, he graciously goes with us. And he goes with us by his grace. That we'd know his grace and his glory and his surpassing worth. That we would find all rejoicing in him and all of this so that Christ's grace and therefore his joy, therefore Christ himself, would be made known to all people in all nations, in all the world, now and forever. And why? Glory to God our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we praise you because of Jesus Christ. At the end of all of this, we say, Glory to you, our God, forever and ever. Not only because you've given us things that we need right now. Not only that you've, as if to say only, that you've given us salvation. That you've rescued us from eternal destruction. That things like the love of money would drag us down into. Not only do you sustain us right now and give us everything that we need for life. But you give us of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would give us more of Christ, that we'd find that we know more and more the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord, that we'd be able to say Christ is enough in all these things. Would Christ be enough for us to face abundance in the days ahead? And need, if you so wish, knowing that it all comes from your good hand. And we pray that Christ would be enough for us all the way into eternity, knowing that Christ is enough for us in eternity and forever. Would the sufficiency of Christ so overflow in us with joy that we would not be able to help but give this of our possessions and of our words and our actions as the Philippians did in abundance, overflowing to those around us. I pray that Christ's love would truly overflow to us, that his truth, his gospel, his saving work and power in his surpassing worth will be made known to all people around us, to the ends of the world, all the way from now and forever. We pray that for his great name. And we pray this to the glory of you, our God. Amen.